In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Well, it's not really good morning. I'm here with Ian Wright and Jack Duffin, and today we're talking about the Cleveland Browns losing to the Steelers. How are you, Ian? Ugh. The season is officially done. Done, done. No chance at a winning record. Morally, morally uh, defeated season by our Cleveland Browns. So, Ugh. that was crap. There is one thing, though. Miles Garrett going for. <laughs> Defensive player of the year? No, that's gone. That's TJ Watts. And uh, Baker and Hudson pretty much sewed that up last night. The betting odds completely fell through the floor. Okay. Miles had zero sacks. TJ had four. (laughs) And the crazy stat is TJ Watt, Miles Garrett, Clowney all have five pressures. I saw that. One guy turned five pressures into four sacks. And Clowney turned five of his into two sacks. And Miles got five pressures going through three guys. So that was impressive. Yeah. But anyway, let's break down the podcast into our normal style. Let's talk about what went right and what went wrong. Uh, I'm about to jump on a plane to Vegas. So I'll just give you a real quick update about um, Steelers. Pittsburgh. It was exciting. It was also very depressing. Once again, it is still a place where I want to get a victory and, uh, uh, yeah, show everyone uh, how it was. I mean, we have not done well in that stadium. I mean, it's just is obviously Ben has a little bit to do with it. Obviously, the Browns being bad has a lot to do with it. But, I mean, you were there, Paul, and were, were they nice to you? Did you get a hit with any clumps of ham this time or anything? I had no ham thrown at me. The fans were very nice to me tonight. There was a few guys that gave me a bit of abuse, but it's a rivalry and I wouldn't like it any other way. Um, but yeah, I've got to say, it was the coldest moment of my life. It was minus five. I've never experienced that in my life anywhere else. It, that's what happens when you play late into January football. I mean, I remember I was at a Brown Steelers game on a Thursday night one time. And the beer that I was holding, the foam around the edge would freeze. So as you poured the beer, it would come over a little bit of an ice mountain to get into your uh, to your glass. The only difference is the Browns actually won that game, as I believe the uh, the Browns had a rushing touchdown by I believe it was a Chris Jennings. So it was one of the few times that Big Ben had lost in Cleveland Stadium. But Paul, you did not have such luck. So you know, overall, how would you rate your experience? Yeah, in Pittsburgh, the tailgating wasn't very good. It was so heavily Steelers fans. The um, the Browns fans, there was hardly any there. Every bar we went into, we were outnumbered. It was what it was. There was that slight hope, as always with the Browns, in the fourth quarter. Could we drive down, defence stand up, and win this game like other teams do? And it just didn't happen. 
there were some nice highlights in the game for the Browns. I know you're going to argue that there was none, but I did enjoy some moments. A throw to Donovan People Jones. I got really excited about that. And two touchdowns. It's always nice to get something out of Heinz Field. Overall, Paul, how would you? I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about it. Jack and I will go into depth. But overall, what was the state of Heinz Field? Because the defense of the Browns, you know, obviously on offense, those are generally the highlight reels. But overall, the defense, you know, graded out a lot better than the offense. So when the Browns were on defense, what was the Pittsburgh crowd like? Yeah, they knew they were up against uh, a tough defense. Um, big shout out to Newsom, Jock, and AJ Green, undrafted free agent. All had great games last night. Delpit looked like he did some good things. So, yeah, um, the Steelers fans, you know, were on edge when we were uh, defending. On offense, they were basically laughing at us. Well, Jack, we'll, we'll let you jump in here. Obviously, Paul did not give you a formal introduction, but Jack is with us here today. And, you know, before we get into some of the offseason stuff, and obviously the Browns are starting to shut down the ship, and, you know, Paul's going to jump on a plane and head to, uh, to Vegas for the Consumer Electronics Show. So Paul's waving at us, so we're going to say goodbye to Paul as the gate agent was yelling at us. So, Jack, tell me, what do you think? One of the worst games I've ever seen from two offenses. Uh, I I don't think it can get much worse than that. If we look at some of the numbers, Mike Glennon was the only thing saving their blushes for having the the like two worst ratings of um, quarterbacks this week. It was a uh, it was really really grim, um, and it weren't just Baker. It was Big Ben as well. If you look at some of the grading, Baker graded out better than Big Ben um, in terms of QBR. Um, so yeah, it was just a, it was an absolute cluster, but luckily would it have been that way if there was something on the game? I don't think so. And I don't blame the players for getting completely deflated when you know your season's over, it's hard to get pumped. Well, and I think the other thing that wasn't talked about a lot is they spent all week preparing emotionally and mentally for a meaningful game. And Stefanski talked a little bit about not having the team watch the game that they were on the bus at that time. I'm sure that was specific, but I think you're right. I think going into the game, that whole first half, I think that told us the story, whether the Browns were going to show up with energy or the, whether the Browns were going to show up flat and they showed up flat. And I think, yes, we can explain away and say, well, they were flat because the game didn't matter. And we're going to get into this a little bit more in terms of, you know, all these buzzwords that are flying out there, you know, culture and losing and play calling and, you know, mechanics and every word has a meaning. But at the end of the day, the fans frustration is that the Browns don't put the fight on the field like the fans want them to. And when you just see a lackluster performance and Listen, that's not to say that there aren't guys out there that are just going all out, right? You know, guys like MJ Stewart and JOK. And listen, I know it was not a great game for Baker Mayfield. I know it wasn't. And I think the Browns are doing their best to remove the excuse of injury. But the guys out there battling, the problem is, is his battling is just not good enough. And we'll get a little bit into it, just some big things that I noticed in that game. But. Yeah, overall, Roethlisberger, I mean, how about Snoop Dogg just calling him out saying enough of these two-yard and out plays? I mean, that's really what it came down to. I mean, 
what I saw a stat Deontay Johnson and he, he was against me and ended up costing me my fantasy football championship in one of my leagues, which thoroughly broke my heart because of course he had the lone shit touchdown for the Steelers that actually uh, meant something. But Jack, didn't I see he had like 15 targets, eight catches and three yards a catch. Um, and- I'm not sure on those numbers, but I know big Ben set records for, the most amount of um, pass attempts for the lowest amount of yards and the most amount of pass completions for the lowest amount of yards. So All right. I, I, in that time, I pulled up our record breaking stats here. So I'm going to give you a stat. So Ben, big Ben threw for 123 yards on 46 yards attempt. Do you know how many yards per attempt that is? I want to say it was, I'm not even working out. I'm going from memory. It was, it was like 2.7 or 3.4. It's 2.67 yards per attempt. It's grim. <laughs> that, that is pretty awful. And in terms of uh, Deontay Johnson having 31 yards on 15, you're talking about two yards a target. It was something that's, crazy. Like when insane. Baker was one for 10. I think at that same time he had more yards per attempt than uh, Big Ben. Oh yeah, when he, he was it might be when he's two and something. He was four, I, at one point I saw they flashed it for it when he was four of fifteen, and he was like double. So listen, there was there was they're they're gonna burn that tape. Okay, that's that's not one that you're gonna be doing a lot of teaching about. Maybe AJ Green will. I was gonna say maybe AJ Green will show his kids, and maybe uh, MJ Stewart or. Uh, or Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa will uh, show his kids that tape. But other than that, do we? I, let's just make this real easy on ourselves. Ready, Jack? The offense, the defense, and the special teams get a one. Okay. Like they all get ones. The I'm, realistic I'm, is the offense probably gets a one, the defense probably gets an eight, and yeah, the special no. teams gets a five. And we'll just yeah. agree on that. The the defense in the, this is something that's been really clear for me this season is across the last season for the second half of the season, the offense really stepped up a gear and played well. And we've basically got the reverse this year where the offense has basically struggled for the entire year, which is the same as the defense last year, but the defense has stepped up this year in the second half in particular and done really, really well. And I think it's just a, it's a perfect explanation for where the NFL's at. We've had half a year of great offensive play and half a great year of great defensive play and why the other side of the ball struggled. One year you come out feeling great and the other year you come out feeling down. And that's because it's an offensive league. It does not matter what's happened on the defensive side of the ball. Kept us in games and we could have won them, but the offense wasn't good enough. Let me ask you this, Jack. And I was thinking about this as I was running daddy duty until 4 a.m. last night. Does it make you sleep easier at night knowing that the offseason leading into 2020, the Browns focused solely on offense and had notable improvements and continuity on offense? Then this past offseason, they focused all of their resources on the defense and you saw a sizable gain. So basically what I'm saying is whatever the Browns seem to focus on in the offseason pays dividends in the following season. So maybe next year or this coming off season, let's maybe split that down the middle and maybe half over here and half over here, because when they went all towards the offense, we had record breaking offensive output. 
and we went all towards the defense, we have a top five defense in the NFL. So it does give me a little solace that whenever the front office does focus on one side of the ball, they get tangible results quick. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's got to be, especially over the next two years, all about the passing offense. Um, and hey, the pass defense is okay. Um, uh, here's a question. I floated it on Twitter yesterday. Yeah, it was on Twitter. The cornerback room, for me, is the only room in the entire roster that I think will be run back in full. So we're talking all five guys. And even that, Troy Hill might go and they might keep MJ Stewart. But it's the only room that I can realistically see being run back. And I'm not talking starters. I'm talking depth. So I'm talking Ward, Greedy, uh, Newsom, Hill, and AJ Green. And AJ Green, I was actually really impressed with it. Even before the interception, I, I, he was having such a good game. Quite often, player will make an interception. The rest of the game isn't at that level. He had a great, great game. And for him as a fifth corner, great position to be in. I mean, think about it. We talked about it a little bit. And listen, I know Ben's limited. But at the end of the day, they held their the Steelers' leading receiver had four catches for 35 yards. Deontay Johnson, eight for 31. Fryermuth five for 22. Najee Harris, three for 18. Jack, who haven't I mentioned? There's a specific guy. He's a little vocal on Twitter, has a little bit of a yappy yappy. Uh, Claypool. Claypool. Who was AJ Green on? Claypool. Nine targets, three catches, 17 yards. That is a that is an absolutely fantastic performance, without a doubt. So absolutely, I think the Browns, in terms of ranking, right? If we're the ranking, because I honestly do think from the safety room, I think you're talking about Del Pitt. Uh, John Johnson, the third LeCount, those three, obviously the only one's not going to come back is Harrison. Yeah. He's not coming back. So I'm just talking rooms full. I'm talking to everyone, but Harrison was kind of the, the odd man out this year, right? Cause MJ Stewart moved into that safety role. So if we're talking just the secondary overall, I can see over 80% of these guys coming back and guys that played meaningful snaps this year, because I know we're out of order and we're talking about defense first, because overall, I think whether we played the chiefs, whether we played the, I mean, the reason we beat the Bengals so bad is because we have corners that can match their receivers. See, so there's not many teams that can do that. If you don't believe me, just go turn on the Kansas city tape because for some reason, Steve Spagnola on a third and 27 decided to run a cover zero blitz and not shade a safety over to the side of Jamar chase. Why you'd go cover zero in this. I get you love to blitz, but why don't you run a zone dog blitz and have a safety over the top because you knew Burrow was going to get the ball out quick. And listen, I'm not Steve Spagnuolo. He's obviously much more of a proven defensive mind than me. That if I was if I was the Browns, if I was a Chiefs fan, and I saw my D coordinator do that because we've done it to Joe Woods, I'd be livid. But the, what did the Browns do when they played the Bengals? They took that passing game away. They cheated on uh, Jamar Chase and on that goal line when they tried to throw that output or out route. Ward housed it. So. I love where the secondary is at. I love the young talent. Greg Newsom, I thought, played exceptionally well yesterday. Um, just getting physical, getting into the chest of um, receivers, breaking up passes, not giving up on the ball. You know, there was a lot of talk about, you know, some technique flaws. I'm not seeing it. You know, and this is a guy, he had seven tackles. It looks like, uh, I'm reading some PFF stuff here. Uh, was targeted 11 times, gave up six catches for 35 yards. I mean, you're targeted 11 times in a game and you only give up 35 yards receiving. That's pretty damn good. Now, he's been really good. Um, I 
struggled to see Ronnie Harrison coming back and Troy Hill wouldn't surprise me if they decide to move the money to MJ Stewart. Um, so that's one to that's keep 80, mark. That's 80% of a room. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah. You're bringing back that much. And we'll add more. They'll draft a safety. And in terms of the core, I mean, what did you what did you think watching uh, Jacob Phillips and Jeremiah Awusu Koromoa? Um, I didn't watch too much of the thing. Was I still don't think we'll see too much of Jacob Phillips this year. I know he's played snaps. What did he play? Played, played thirty three snaps. snaps. Yep. J O K J O K played sixty one. Anthony Walker forty nine. Taki Taki twelve before he went out with an injury. Malcolm Smith twenty nine. So they did their. Divide, divide and conquer from the uh, linebacker room. Yeah, no, I think we'll, uh, JOK is obviously just cementing himself. He's playing around the 75%, which is great. Um, I would love to tick that up. Um, he's had two games this season with 90 plus. Um, would love, would love the Browns to have one linebacker where they're like, yeah, he's good enough. And if it is the case of, hey, he smashes 75% of it, and that's all you're putting out on the field for. I've got no issue with that. Yeah. Joe Woods has generally done a really good job of rotating that uh, linebacker room round to um, fit the matches. Mm-hmm. I, I think Jacob Phillips will bounce back next year. Listen, this is a guy I think we just want to see him play. And you know what? Against Cincinnati, I want to see him play more. At this point, it's odd because he has the same quick twitch that Jeremiah does, or you know, JOK, whatever you want to call him. He just kind of gets lost in the wash a little bit. So I think he has good instincts, but at this point, his he, he's, he's letting his eyes lie to him a little bit. And there's a similar theme on offense in the quarterback position. But at the end of the day, you notice with uh, JOK, he sometimes gets himself out of position, but has the quickness to get back into position to make a play. And I think what you're talking about there is you're going to see some boom and bust plays from him. That's just a fact. You're going to see plays where he's going to blow a coverage. He's going to whiff on a tackle like he did at the end of the Raiders game. You're going to see those type of mistakes. But I was reliably informed that, you know, moving up three spots in the draft is uh, is so vitally important in terms of getting who they want. Um, Jack, remind me, what pick did we get Jeremiah owusu Kormo at last year? 52? 50. I, it wasn't in the top 50. So a team that made the playoffs – I remind you came away from the draft with what looks to be a starting corner and a starting linebacker. Not too bad. At the end of the day, I I I think there is Jamin Davis went 19. How's he doing? Anybody? I think there is some value to moving up. We saw what the Eagles did last year. Um, Trade and trade. They, they, it took a massive amount of heat and it was apparently going to ruin their franchise when they tanked the last game. And All right, hold they, on. I saw that going on there. When you say tank, how did they, oh, they did. tank? Well, they took their quarterback out of the game. <laughs> um, did he play? They, they let him play the first quarter and then pulled him. Okay, so they let him play. And then they said, we have roster decisions. And you know what? It's no different. See, that to me isn't tanking. See, tanking to me is not showing up, Right. The fact is their quarterback showed up. He took some reps. He runs through the game. So your backups then can see your starters run through. If you're not playing for anything, and this is where we're going to get a little bit of this in the offense because I want to have this conversation about Nick Chubb, right? But I don't consider that tanking. Did they play to win the game? Yes, they did. The thing is, is plays to win the game. They used players that may not have given them the best chance to win, but those guys played to win. So I have no problem with once a team is eliminated and we're going to see it next week in Cleveland playing guys that 
you need to, for example, I, I sent this to the group chat. I want to see Richard LeCount next week. You know, I want to see more of them. I want to see Grant Delpit out there. Grant Delpit's still a rookie, but you know what? Some plays good, some plays bad. I want to see Jacob Phillips out there. I want to see Sheldon Day. Get these guys some snaps. I have no problem with that. I'm not saying I want Miles Garrett running 80% of the snaps that week. I don't. It's I'll nothing. But I want his ass out there. I want him out there just the same as, listen, I know the Baker discussion's coming, but I want Denzel Ward if his hamstrings not uh, too bad. I want him out there. I want AJ green to walk through a rep and say, all right, I'm coming into the game for Denzel. I'm watching Denzel. Even if Denzel only plays 10, 15% of the snaps, that's why I don't think the Eagles tanked that game. And yes, it ended up playing off for them, but aren't they the team that traded back up to get Devonte Smith? That was a terrible trade. No, no, that was the, um, that was somebody else. Who traded back up? Who am I? Oh, it was Miami. They went from Miami. Six. It was Miami. They went from six to ten, so they went down where Miami went up. For Correct. Miami so, stockpiled the picks, traded back, and then traded back up to get Waddle. Right. Yeah. That's that's right. Okay. I was gonna say I remember somebody making a god awful trade on that. The Eagles won that trade, by the way. Yeah, but that that's exactly what they did, and just by moving from ten to six, it opened up lots of opportunities because they would have been around the tenth spot, but that they creatively made sure they were a bit further down yes um let's uh let's let's we'll wrap we'll wrap up on the events we've talked pretty glowingly about them obviously the two biggest needs in the offseason that the browns are going to have to address is defensive edge or edge defensive end whatever you want to call it uh we don't have we have one yeah. we don't have two or three uh so the browns are going to have to address the edge position and they're also going to have to address the defensive tackle even though Malik McDowell showed me a little that that uh, zone dog blitz that they ran on fourth down against Roethlisberger where Malik McDowell dropped and they rushed Koromoa. I will, you got to think about it. Ben is a hall of fame quarterback and he was completely baffled by that play. So do you know which one I'm talking about, Jack? It was fourth and three in the first half and they blitzed JOK from the weak side. Actually, you'd have been on the strong side there. They blitzed him at the left tackle. Malik McDowell peels back into coverage. Roethlisberger thought he had an easy check down to Fryermuth, and all of a sudden, a six foot eight behemoth named Malik McDowell jumps in there. And if he had hands, he'd have caught it and intercepted it, but instead, it bounced off his head. However, fantastic play call to this guy coverage. And that's one of the first times I've seen a D tackle do that from, uh, from the Browns. So, shout out to Joe Woods. That was an absolutely fantastic play call. And I know Peyton and Eli pointed it out as well. But it was nice to see some freaking uh, work done on it. I thought Malik McDowell had a pretty solid game. Um, Malik Jackson, enjoy free agency next year. I didn't see much of anything. I think he was one of those veterans where he was just going to make sure he didn't get hurt. That's Even though he jumped in for that late hit, I think his I think his time in Cleveland's obviously done. He's not coming back. Yeah, we might see a second-year bounce out on McDowell as well. Um, McDowell because- I would bring back. Dude hasn't played in ages. Bring back Day. But yeah, the, the key thing is what they do with that age room. Um, there's another Edging name tackle. just want to throw out there because obviously we've spoke about clowning. God, you and can say Vinny Curry. We, no, it's not Vinny Curry <laughs> this year. It's not Vinny, Vinny Curry. Curry, Trey Boston. Are we going to keep going down the jack list of free agents? No, neither of them on the, on the list. I, I came up with a list of four. Someone asked me a question earlier. So, oh, boy. Um, there's a list of four. But we're obviously Clowney's the, the marquee name. We're not going to go out and add a TJ Watt there um, in free agency, or not that there is one in free agency. Well, Chandler Jones, potentially. Um, but Clowney's sort of your star, and you hit the nail on the head. If you bring him back, you're going very much down the Rams route 
of like, hey, we're just going to load up with star power. We'll have five or six stars on defense and not much else, which, hey, if everything's working, everyone's healthy, it can be good, but it can go wrong. Um, yeah, when then, they get COVID. The, <laughs> they get COVID and pfft, there it goes that. They're not even hurt. You yeah. Know? The, the other name is obviously Vernon, which is certainly possible if, if he is healthy. Um, and the other one that I stumbled across that he's, he's not no superstar. He's, he's one that you're just going to plug in there to be your two slash three and you draft the guy. Is Melvin Ingram. Is that a solid year? And uh, I, I think that that could be a realistic option. The only thing I would say about Melvin Ingram, he got drafted in the San Diego, played a three, four outside linebacker. Then he went to Pittsburgh, was a three, four outside linebacker. Then he went to Kansas city and he's been a three, four outside linebacker. Now I actually take that back. He, when he was in San Diego, before they became LA, they transitioned from the three, four, when they got boasted to the four, three. So he would have played hand down four, three end the later part of his uh, Chiefs or his Chargers career now. KC play four, four man front. No, they, Chris Jones is their nose. They play a three they? four. I think I think they play a three four base. I'm not saying they don't bring Frank Clark down in pass rushing zone uh, times, but if I'm not mistaken, I think their base is three four. That's Spagnola from the Giants, right? I mean, everything's hybrid nowadays, so I could be completely wrong with that. And I'm sure there's somebody out there that's memorized the defensive strategies of the Chiefs. Now, maybe our boy Jack McCurry's out there going, damn it, Ian, you know what the hell you're talking about. But, I mean, I don't mind Melvin Ingram. Um, he obviously was a rental pretty much everywhere he's went now at this point. Six, two, 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 six, five million and, like, just draft someone. And yes. then the draft, he takes over after a year. Yeah, six, two, six, two, two, sixty-five. So he fits the guardrails in terms of the size. But, you know, and listen, we're going to talk about a little bit more of this because I know that there's a big draft uh, conversation going on now. but. Ultimately for me right now, I value if we're going to have a top 15 pick, I'd rather focus that on the edge than I would the wide receiver position, just because I think the talent, you know, I'd rather have a top edge and then a second round wide receiver, as opposed to a first round wide receiver and then a second round edge. But that's, that's nor here nor there. Clowney to come to Cleveland, Jack, give us the quick breakdown, your Austin Hooper contract, like breakdown. What would it take? What is the opportunity cost? And what would the Browns sacrifice bringing Clowney back in a multi-year deal? Because after two sacks last night, he's probably now in what, 15, 16 million. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. So we're looking around 15 million over one, potentially if it is a one-year deal, if it's a multi-year deal, somewhere between 15 and 17 and a half million a year. Um, but that's an awful lot of money. That is your entire depth on the defense. You lose. There's no depth anywhere. So it's one that if everything goes well, then you're sitting there going, wow, we're legit. Um, and it means there's going to be no investment in the D-tackle position. So when Malik Jackson goes, that's like, that is it. There's no money going getting spent there. Um, I did a tweet, I think it was like three, four days ago, which basically just runs through the three top three of every position room of what it sort of looks like. And that's not just a one year, that's like a three year. Um, it's like, because you are paying a massive, massive, massive amount of money to Miles Garrett. And the downside of having a guy that is that freakishly amazing, is you, you have to balance out their cost with a rookie deal. So uh, it only really makes sense to do that. Um, because, hey, you're going to pay Denzel Warren. That's going to be over 20 million a year. It's more important. And I was going to say, is is there any way the Browns can extend Ward and keep Clowney? 
Everything in the NFL is possible in a silo. What's so the opportunity make, cost? Yeah, it it's get rid of all the depth and pay Garrett, Ward, and Clowney. Hey, you've got John Johnson in there as well. Um, so it's not like you've got no one, but they're basically your four stars. You've got everything in four dudes and the other 21 that you, are in the defensive. If you multi-year deal that, though, and you have Ward on big, then you have Clowney on, say, three, and you have Garrett, then you have to start thinking about, okay, you can bring him in this year, but next year you're talking about uh, Del Pitt will be going into his third year. Then you're talking about, I'm trying to think of who else. Greedy, he'd be gone even though he obviously can't stay healthy. Oh, Greedy's to think of, gone anyway. Well, but he, we have another him. year of him. And yeah, he got two You won't have any money to even the mid-tier. Like, when we talk about roster depletion, you're talking about all pro and hell no. Like, that's what you're talking about. You're talking about guys, like vet minimums and all pros. So the the middle tier of talent, the you know, the Greedies, or the, you know, those type of guys, you're not going to be able to bring them back because they're going to want above vet minimum and not demanding you know, top price. But the one thing I was looking at just in that little time, the one benefit the Browns may have, have you looked at this free agent crop of uh, edge rushers? I mean, there's some decent names out there. So the market is not going to be focused really on one guy. So, I mean, you're talking about, obviously some of these guys could be kept. Um, Vaughn Miller, Chandler Jones, Jason Pierre, Paul, Jerry Hughes, Clowney, Agba, Mario Addison, Hassan Reddick, Dante Fowler, Melvin Ingram, Derek Barnett, Ryan Kerrigan, Justin Houston, Harold Landry, your boy, uh, Kyler Fackrell, um, Ichena Nwusu from the Chargers. He's had a Randy pretty Gregory. Season. Yeah, Randy Gregory, Everson Griffith. I mean, obviously, I know he's got some mental stuff going on. Um, there's some decent names. So hopefully – the market doesn't get too saturated and maybe you can find a couple guys here. You know, there's a couple guys here on the younger age uh, part that I, I, I would maybe kick the tires on. I'm not going after like an Everson Griffith or a Mario Addison. Those are 35 years old. Um, but you know, when you're talking about Chauncey rivers, who's a guy who's made a couple of plays now, he's a exclusive rights free agent. I don't know if they have enough cap to bring him back, but Derek Barnett from the Eagles, 26, he's going to look to, He's going to get paid a multi-year deal, so that just takes us out the equation, really. Are um, any guys on here, guys, that will do the clowning and come here for a year to try to hit it bigger when that cap goes up? Like, could you see a guy like Nuwusu or, you know, Jabari Zuniga, that guy out of Florida? He's been around. He's a um, – he, and this is SFA. What the hell is an SFA? Street free agent. Street free agent. Um, Never mind. He's got some legal issues then. So – the, the the thing with that is you can generally always get a player. Pretty much every position outside the quarterback. If you're willing to wait, there'll be somebody that misses the market, whether that's, um, I think even Casey Hayward um, with the Raiders, his phenomenal season, he, he sort of missed the market and went cheap and been one of the best corners in the league this year. And Clowney, perfect example. You had to wait to sign Clowney. So there was a danger that Clowney took a bid from another team and we missed out on Clowney and Tack was actually going to be our starting edge this season. So that's always the danger when you're playing that game. It's like, hey, you could miss out. Um, but it's what you're happy with. And that's why we're almost in a tough position where we need somebody. Um, so even if it's just a, a Vernon on two and a half million, you've just got to pay it to go... We've got something because you can't wait until the six, 
fifth, sixth, seventh day of free agency and go, hey, we'll just pick up what's left because you could just run out of guys. So um, it's playing with fire, but why not? Yeah. All right. So that's enough on the defense. Uh, We've put it off as long as possible in terms of talking about this piss poor offensive performance from yesterday. So what do we want to talk about? I mean, we all saw it. Our eyes are, our eyes are still bleeding. You want to start at the top? You want to start at the head of the snake? You got to start there. There's no point discussing anything else until we discuss it. Well, as we know, the Browns offense has been out of sync for pretty much most of the damn season. I mean, I think I read something that 10 out of their last 11 games, the offense hasn't scored more than 17 points or something like that, or it's some insanely stupid number or 10 out of the whatever games. I forget. It's it, We all know. We all watch the games. We all know that the offense stinks right now. Stinks. And this is not kill Baker. This is not kill James Hudson or any of them. To have a productive offense, let me help you. You need a good offensive line. Not great. You need a good offensive line. You need a good quarterback play. You need good running backs. You need good tight ends and you need good wide receivers. You need, you need good. Now, maybe you dip a little in tight end. If you up it in the offensive line, you know, there's some give and take in there, but at the end of the day, you need a Paul Brown seven, at least across the board to have a good offense. Yeah. You can sacrifice in running back and tight end. I would say, yeah, if there's two, you can sacrifice. They're the two. Everything and, else, yeah. If you get six, you're right. Okay. That's why Kyler Murray can throw passes to an Antoine Wesley, you know, who's a tight end slash wide receiver. You know, we have him Harrison Bryant. So you can find guys like that. You don't need first round talent at all positions. But the big kicker with that on offense is if your quarterback is not firing on at least four cylinders of a V4, you got problems. And I like Baker Mayfield, the person. I like Baker Mayfield, the competitor. I like Baker Mayfield, the attitude, the, 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 the swag he brings. But it is as clear as crystal that he is gun shy. They said it a couple of years ago when talking about Sam Darnold, he's seeing ghosts. And whether that's because the injuries, the wideouts, the right tackle, the running backs, the tight ends, the coaching, the play calling – It doesn't matter. It really doesn't because all of those things are present in some form or fashion on 32 different NFL teams. Antonio Brown just won on a tirade mid game down two scores and Tom Brady led them to victory. It doesn't matter what's going on. If you have a quarterback that can, and listen, I know I picked the goat, but at the same time, you can look around the league and see Josh Allen's and you can see guys that are in similar vein to Baker Mayfield overcoming obstacles. And when you listen, I know that a lot of times you'll see screenshots of plays and say, look at this guy wide open. And it's impossible to do that on every play. But when you have two hall of fame quarterbacks watching your play, and calling out what your read should be and how you missed it. You know, I'm talking about the first interception and yet did Jonathan people's Jones help him out by flattening off that route. As Eli said, no, he didn't, but what, why is he the read? That's the question because obviously as Peyton said, you're reading that low to high. So what he's basically saying is if Baker Mayfield is going to be any equality of quarterback, he passed on David Njoku to go on to Donovan people's Jones. So that there is not a play call. That's not a Stefanski. That's not an offensive line. That's not any of that. That's on the quarterback. 
And when on third and five on the third and two that Burns has screenshotted and it's been out there and Peyton Manning even said he anticipated a coverage. That is a very fancy way of saying he saw a ghost. He had four passes swatted in his face and he was scared to throw the ball. And how many times did Eli bring it up? And I can cite them because these guys are quarterbacks. They sat with Stefanski, right? So you can read pieces in here. This isn't me conjecturing things up. Eli said, when you hit that back foot, let it go. That He's telling you this is a timing offense. He's telling you that when that back foot hits the ground, Baker Mayfield is to throw the ball. And when he hit the back foot and he hesitates, his right tackle now gets beat by an all pro. His left tackle now is blocking to a spot he's not supposed to be at. This is what an out-of-sync offense looks like. And until Baker gets right between the ears, and I'm not talking about a non-throwing shoulder harness that everybody wants to argue about limitations. Until he gets right between the ears, it's not going to matter. Yeah, and that's the massive, massive thing. If all it was was the injury and he's throwing high, if it was he's making all the right calls and they're just not going to the right place, they just fly high, fly high, fly high, then you sit there and you go, look, ideally you should have fixed that across the season even with the injury, but it, it's an injury. The, the eyes are working. Um, everything else is there. That's when you sit there and you go, hey, run it back. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. We'll turn it around. We'll get end of last season, Baker. It's there. But yeah, it's the technique. Um, and we've heard that all the quarterbacks, whether you're Tom Brady, you're going every season working on mechanics and t- tweaking things. And all the noise from Baker is like, you just don't see that as something he needs to do. And it's like, well, quite frankly, you certainly need to do it. If Tom Brady needs to do it, you 100% need to do it. To be fair, what he said was he's not seeking outside. So Brady has like a world, right? So the guy that he's been working on his mechanics with, I believe is Tom House. Brady's been working with him for years. So what Baker was saying when he asked that is, I don't need to go hire somebody. I have people. So I don't know if that's the Browns and Alex Van Pelt. I don't know who that person is, but it's not fair to Baker to say he's not working on his mechanics because remember when Van Pelt was brought here, he was a footwork magician. Aaron Rodgers, everybody loved him, but it's breaking down because between the ears in times of panic, we resort to our habits and Baker has not had enough reps. And this whole injury thing, Jack, I I saw something. He went, what, one game in 30 days or something like that, based on all the COVID and all that stuff. Like the guy was not all that injured. And yes, it sucks that he has a bruised knee and a bad foot and stuff. But you know what? When you're talking about transcendent level quarterback play, Aaron Rodgers has all these issues. But you know what he has? He has an arm on the right side that throws a ball picture perfect. Regardless of the footwork, he's able to overcompensate. And listen, I'm not saying this is the thing about Baker. He can go out, throw four interceptions. That's fine. Rodgers against the Saints. Dennis Allen had his number. He threw two picks. I think one of them was a pick six. Brady threw a couple pick sixes against the Saints. Sometimes the other team will just have your number. Joe Burrow, the Browns just seem to have his number right now. Who knows if that carries on next week, but that's just what it is. But then you see those flashes where you drop on a dime at third and 27. You hit a post going across the middle. And the crazy part is we can see that with Baker. That throw he made to Donovan Peoples-Jones for 39 yards was perfect. He hit that back foot, boom, hit him in stride, and he's gone. So we've seen it at times. 
but it's not consistent. And when Baker, Baker breaks down, you have nine sacks. Nine. And Joe Burrow and Baker, both, both unlucky with the amount of uh, pressured stuff at the ESPN, but the difference is Joe Burrow's got 30th best O-line in terms of uh, pass block efficiency, whereas the Browns still at fourth because they're doing the job for two and a half seconds, which is all you're expecting an O-line to do in the modern NFL, give you two and a half seconds. And as you said, when the back foot hits, you throw it. And that's what other quarterbacks are doing. And you just got to get there. Um, and yeah, that's the problem. And obviously, we've spoke before. If you listen to the podcast, you've heard there's limited options out there in the offseason. But there's other dynamics. It's not just what the other options are. Is, is Baker happy to be here? Are the Browns and Kevin Stefanski wanting him back? Because you can trade him off. All this talk of, oh, you can't move him. He's got all this guaranteed money. Someone's going to take it. Yeah, you might not get the pick you want. There's there's noise that Washington might offer nine. Hey, if they do that, then uh, I'm taking it. But <laughs> I would be <laughs> the ninth overall. Come on, guys. Like, are we serious? No fan. If the Browns, would you take it? Oh my God, I would, but it's not even realistic. That's like saying if how many Browns fans would be like, we're gonna offer pick what 13 for Derek Carr. You'd shit your pants. Like you'd have massive diarrhea in your pants. Like, what are we doing? Like, why in the hell would you do that? Maybe a maybe the ninth pick of the third, fourth round. But come on. But it's it's one where who knows what's going to happen behind the scenes because the logical stuff when you take all emotion out of it is you run Baker back next year, you put some stuff around it, but, and we'll get onto this in the next few weeks, but just because everyone's discussing it, we'll go there as well. If you take all the emotion out of it, Baker's your sensible choice to run it back, but there's other stuff is going on. Does Baker want to be back? Do they want him back? Does, does the locker room have an issue? Because the locker room might be like, guys, we want to win a Super Bowl and he ain't getting it done. We don't want him back. And who knows what's going to happen. This thing can get really, really messy quick. Absolutely. But I do think that you have to admire what, what Baker's trying to do. And I think that'll earn him the respect of the guys. I really do. And ultimately the guys know Nick Mullins, Case Keenum, they knew Baker Mayfield is giving them the best chance of success. I think they all know that. And if they realize there's no better options and listen, I get it. Like I tweeted about it earlier. Baker has every right to be pissed off. And I'm actually shocked that people are surprised of this because like what we love about Baker is that, that swag, that just asshole blue collar attitude, right? When he loses I mean, listen, I didn't play sports at the same level that Baker Mayfield does. I'm not trying to say that, but I'm just telling you, these guys hate losing. Okay. I hate losing as a fan. One of my biggest flaws, my wife says, is my inability to watch a Browns game rationally, right? Baker Mayfield had a $40 million a year carrot dangled in front of him this year. Okay. And he ain't getting it. He just lost out on generational money. Baker's kids, kids wouldn't have had to work if he'd have played well 
this season, whether it's because of Jack Conklin, Kareem Hunt, Austin Hooper dropping passes. Of course, the guy's going to be, I would be pissed that he's not pissed. If he went out there, was all vanilla. Like, oh, you know, sometimes you just don't win them all. You know, I want him up there MF and under his breath. I want a guy that hates losing because that is what breeds the fire to this off season. Call whoever, call Aaron Rodgers, Joe Montana, hell, Fran Tarkenton, roll him out of the grave. That fire is what makes people better. And you're right. There are no better options out there. So patch his ass up, get him in the office, show him where he screwed up, give him whatever non-throwing shoulder surgery he needs. And he can go plank with his wife at halftime for 30 minutes. Shout out, Emily. She's getting everybody fit except me. You got to run it back. I mean, $18 million he's getting paid. I mean, how Sam Darnold's uh, fifth-year option got exercised. So let's not make it seem like this is some crazy decision. Oh, it was a no-brainer to exercise the option. They had to do that. And everything pointed to they did well. And to be fair, kudos to Barry and in particular for not paying Baker last year because that would have been an easy thing to do. If they'd have paid him $40 million, got it done, then people at the time would have gone, hey, it's a great deal. And now they'd be sitting there going, should we be getting rid of Andrew Berry? He can't evaluate quarterback play. And genuinely, that would have been what happened. Um, uh, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, uh, hello. They Guess what? If you'd extended him, you'd have had an entire year of Baker before you got to Baker's real money. Just remember, that's the reason that the uh, the Eagles needed out of that Wentz contract because he hadn't even taken a snap under his new dollar. So it's, it's one where they need to have a look. And they will... Andrew Berry, one thing we've seen from him, he was the only one other than New England calling on Cam Newton. We had a callbacks locked in, but he, he, was, he will un, overturn every stone to try and make us better. And he will be calling... For Rogers, he'll be calling for Winston. He'll be calling for um he'll even call for cousins, he'll call for Carr, he'll call for Jimmy G. He'll call for uh other guy Watson because Watson's not getting traded till he's cleared. So anyone moaning about the the Watson off-field stuff it's irrelevant. Um he's not moving until he's cleared. Um all found guilty, and then that we'll have that discussion then. But the thing is, they are gonna look at every option, and if they think there's value there for one, they will move for it. Um, there's one guy. If we were to get the ninth, there's one guy I would love to bring in as a free agent. And I think he would be a really good punt for a one-year bridge. Because for me, if you're going to ask me, the future of the Browns quarterback position is in the 2023 first round. That's where it's going to come from. Guy I would love to bring in if we can trade Baker for a first. Hey, guys. Thanks for making it this far. Jack and I continue on for about another 40 minutes on the Browns Steelers postgame rant. So we're going to break this one up into two recordings just to make your lives a little easier. So if you want to hear who the quarterback is that Jack is slated as a target for the Browns in 2022, and this is obviously, this isn't coming from any sources. This is just coming from him himself. Check out part two. It'll be posted at the same time. So listen to one, listen to the second. Plenty of great content here in the second half. So we appreciate it again. Thank you. And go Browns.